I want to pick up this morning where I left off two weeks ago. We talked about Joseph two weeks ago, and we ended that sermon uh, noting that Joseph had died, still anticipating the promises of God that he had made to Joseph and to his family that had yet to be fulfilled. Joseph dies, and he's buried in a coffin in Egypt. And at the time of Joseph's death, Joseph's family, the, the Israelites or the Hebrews, a small group of people at that time were coexisting peacefully with the great nation of Egypt. They were camped out in the land of Goshen, neighboring Egypt. Everything was going well. But then you get a few generations down the line, and what you read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, you read this passage a couple weeks, not this last week, but the week before. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, is important for understanding the context of the book of Exodus. There we read that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He did not share the same loyalty to Joseph or to his family. And because he feared the number of of Israelites, because we read in verse 7 that the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly, they multiplied They grew exceedingly strong. This makes the Pharaoh very afraid. What if they decide to join with other nations' armies and fight against me? So he fears the great number and the might of Israel, and he begins, we read in the first uh, part of chapter 1 of Exodus, he begins to deal shrewdly with them. Uh, He begins to, he sets taskmasters over them. He works them to the bone. But no matter how hard he works them, they just keep growing and multiplying. And so then he and the Egyptian people begin to deal with them as slaves. They enslave them. And they deal ruthlessly with them, according to chapter 1, verse 14. So all of a sudden, what goes from a peaceful coexistence of two different nations, the Israelites find themselves in the midst of an unjust society. The Egyptians are the masters and they are the slaves. And then, in verse 15, an even more horrific turn of events occurs. Verse 15, look at this. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, this was our text this morning, one of of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, The Pharaoh said to these ladies, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them about to give birth, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. What a directive. I want you, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, if it's a female child, she is allowed to live, but if it's a male child, I command you to slaughter that child. At birth. And we read that. And we think. There aren't even words to attach to that. Are there? Horrific. Horrible. Cruel. Unthinkable. We read that and we say. I can't even. I can't even grasp. I can't even imagine. The cruelty. The barbarism of such a command. How could somebody sink to That level of depravity? Oh, really? Is that so unthinkable to us as a nation? 
A few weeks ago, the governor of New York signed legislation permitting all abortions until 24 weeks of pregnancy. And after that point, the bill asks only that the abortion provider make a reasonable and good faith professional judgment that there is an absence of fetal viability or that abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health. And that last term, health, is left intentionally vague, a significant omission in this legislation. The bill also removes abortion from the state's criminal code. And so basically in New York, all protections for for persons, for the unborn, have been removed. The governor described the bill as ensuring a woman's right to make her own decisions about her own personal health, including the ability to access an abortion, and that as a result, women in New York will always have the fundamental right to control their own body. And this bill's passage, you've probably seen the video that went viral. The bill's passage was met with raucous cheering and applause in the New York State Senate chamber. And the governor ordered that one World Trade Center, a building that to me symbolizes our nation's resilience in the wake of 9-11, to be lit up in the color pink to celebrate the passage of that legislation. Is it so unthinkable? More recently... A Virginia lawmaker introduced a bill that would significantly loosen existing restrictions in that state on abortion in the final three months of pregnancy, in the third trimester. Currently in that state, third trimester abortions are permitted only if three doctors certify that a woman's health otherwise would be substantially or irremediably impaired. Under the proposed bill, only the physician who would perform the abortion must provide that certification, just one physician. And the substantially or irremediably language is dropped in favor of of a provision that allows for an exception if the pregnancy is determined to impair either the mental or physical health of the woman. Mental or physical health. More intentionally vague language in this bill. The lawmaker, in another video that went viral, that many of you may have seen, the lawmaker was questioned by one of her colleagues. He said, so a woman is about to give birth. She's in the process of giving birth. Is that a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? And the the lawmaker hemmed and hawed around a bit, but eventually after being pressed, she said, yes, my bill would allow that, yes. Thankfully, in the state of Virginia, this bill didn't make it out of committee. Now, I know, I know, those in authority in our country aren't commanding us to slaughter our children as in Egypt. But some lawmakers are trying to make it legal and even morally acceptable to take the lives of children who are absolutely viable outside the womb. And if you believe, as I do, that life, the precious gift of life from our Creator, begins at the moment of conception, then it has been legal to do so in this country for 46 years since the Supreme Court deemed abortion a fundamental right under the Constitution in the landmark Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. Given the current state of affairs, 
Maybe it's not so difficult after all to imagine this level of barbarism, this level of cruelty that we read about on the pages of God's Word in Exodus. What did the midwives do? What did Shifra and Puah do? By the way, it's significant that these ladies are named. In a chapter when very few people are named, these ladies are given a name. We are told what their names are. Not even Pharaoh is named. But Scripture is certain to tell us these ladies' names were Shifra and Puah. Don't forget these names. Because these are the names of heroes. These are the names of courageous, brave women who we ought to emulate. Why? Because look what these ladies did. Shifra and Puah, I will call them by name. Look what they did when faced with a cruel, murderous command in verse 17. But the midwives feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. These are heroes of the faith. Shifra and Puah. Because they feared God... They rejected the command of Pharaoh. Because they said yes to God, they had to say no to this evil command. These ladies, they stand up to power. They stand toe-to-toe with the king. And they say, we shall not do as you say. We shall let the children live. Let the children live. And if we fear God, If we fear God as they did, then we will also stand up and we will fearlessly say, let the children live. We will not allow, as Christian people, these types of calls to unrestrict abortion even as late as the time of birth to go unchallenged and unanswered. We have been quiet for far too long. We've been silent for far too long enough is enough. The level of cruelty that we see on display among some extreme minorities and some lawmakers, we've got to stand up and say, as these ladies said, let the children live. And maybe you're thinking, Joseph, why are you wading into such a hot-button political issue this morning? This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. And we cannot let our political system, we cannot let our political allegiances determine how we view various issues such as these. We allow God's Word to determine where it is we stand on this issue and a host of others. So I'm putting politics aside. Politics takes a backseat to what God's Word says. This is primarily a moral issue. And God and the people of God as we look back through history, as we look at the Word of God, have always cared for the unborn. They've always cared for the infant, the most helpless and vulnerable among us. And one of my favorite places to turn when talking about God's care for the unborn is Psalm 139. You know where I'm going. I'd love for you to turn there with me. I just have one verse uh, up here on the screen, but I want to read a handful of verses from this beautiful psalm where the psalmist reflects on how God cared for him even before he came into the world. Psalm 139, start with me in verse 13. The psalmist says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I praise you, O God. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh God, your care for me extends all the way back to when I was in the womb of my mother, even before I entered into the world. As you look at my family, you'll see, and many of you know, that we have three children. But in actuality, we have four children. Because we lost a little one by miscarriage between our second and third at about week 12. And many of you have suffered miscarriage. And you know the pain that's involved in that type of loss. And we every so often think about that little one. How old he or she may be. uh, How he or she may be developing you know, at, at what point that baby would, would be if he or she had, had lived. We never got to know that child, but I believe, as I have been saying throughout, that was a child. That wasn't just a clump of cells, as some would have us to believe children are before they enter into the world. It was a child with a body and a soul and a spirit known by our God, formed by God, his or her parts intricately woven together in the womb. And we look forward to meeting that child in the life to come, at the resurrection, as I know many of you look forward to meeting children that you were never able to meet. We are about to be in our church family in the midst of a big baby boom. There are many expectant parents, many more children on the way who will be screaming out during the sermon, and I can't wait. I'm just kidding about that, because the sound of a baby's cry is a wonderful sound. Whether it's in the assembly or any other place, even in the middle of the night, it's a wonderful sound, the sound of life. And many of these babies... Though they have not yet arrived, and I I really am so excited. I cannot wait to meet all these little ones. I can't wait to hold them and pray with them and congratulate their parents. We rejoice with these families because by the end of this year, we will have many, many new little ones in our midst. I'm so excited. Many of these babies, though they have not yet arrived, they already have names. We already know if they're boys or girls. They already have rooms that have been designed and decorated. And most importantly, they are already known by God. They are precious to God. Precious in His sight, fearfully and wonderfully made. Their frames not hidden from God above. He is currently forming their inward parts, knitting them together in their mother's womb. This is life. These are lives, precious personal, unique, special to God. And you may have noticed as we've been reading that in the giving of the law, in Exodus chapter 1, uh, chapter 21 rather, 
This is a reading that we had just this last week, that God, in the giving of His law, includes protection for life in the womb. Did you notice this? As we read in Exodus chapter 21, starting at about verse 22, where the law states that when men get into some, some kind of a scuffle, if they're striving together, and they accidentally hit a woman who is expecting, if she prematurely goes into labor, then the law, God in His law provides protection for that little one who is born prematurely. And so what we have here is personhood is attributed to the unborn by God. He includes protection for the unborn in His law given to the people of Israel. And as we fast forward into the time of the New Testament and afterwards, what we find in Roman culture is, a, is widespread infanticide. I don't, I don't know if you knew this about Greek and Roman culture in the time when the New Testament was written. It was acceptable. It was not against the law. If you had a child that was not pleasing to you, that was disfigured in some way or had some genetic disorder, or if it was a female and you already had a female then you could do what they, what they called exposure. You could leave your child out to be exposed to the elements until that child died. Or until or unless someone came along to rescue that child. This was widespread in Roman culture, this cruel, barbaric practice. Well, in a culture of widespread infanticide, the early Christian document, which is called the Didache, which was written somewhere between the... the Last few years of the first century or the first few of the second says this, thou shalt not murder a child by abortion nor kill them when born. Now let me be clear. These are not the words of inspired scripture. But this is a document that gives us a glimpse into how the early Christians in the generation after the apostles were thinking and they clearly state in this document, do not murder a child by abortion, do not kill them in utero or kill them when they are born. And we look at that and we think, well, obviously they would say that, but this went against the grain of, of culture's thinking because it was acceptable to leave your child out, the child that you didn't want in order to die. And so the Christians, they took a stand against such a practice. So we come from a long line of folks who have said, let the children live. But saying this is not enough. And posting, posting about it on social media and Facebook is not enough. And picketing And holding up signs like the people in this picture is not enough. We need to be down on our knees praying that in the future of this country, abortion is not just illegal, but it is unthinkable to the mind of people living in this country. It's something that is so beyond the pale of of options that they wouldn't even consider it. That's our goal. Not just for it to be against the law, but for it to violate every conscience of every person in our society. And we have reason to be somewhat optimistic. Because currently, according to survey research, 75% of Americans support significant restrictions on abortion. And you can even make the argument that this nation is, it is becoming very divided. And states are becoming very divided. Uh, loosening restrictions on one extreme and tightening them on the other but you can make the argument that America is becoming increasingly pro-life. Why? Well, one reason is technology. And this is one instance when we can praise God for technology because of the technology of ultrasounds, 
we can see like we've never seen before that it is life in the womb. We can see those babies' faces and their fingers and their toes, and it is unmistakably a human person in there. And we can hear their heartbeats earlier than we've ever heard them before. And we have come to the realization that we're not just talking about fetuses or clumps of cells, we're talking about human children. And we need to be praying that more eyes are opened to the reality of what we are doing in this nation, this great injustice that we are committing. So we got to stand up and speak the truth as Shifra and Pua did. We've got to pray, but it's still not enough. We should also act. You know, the early Christians didn't just stand up and speak out against infanticide. They began to rescue the children who had been left out in the elements to die. They began to take them in. They began to adopt them, even when it was against the law, even when it was against cultural norms. They rescued those little ones. And if there are more restrictions on abortion in the future, then there will be more babies. There will be more children who will need our care. And the question is, will God's people rise up in this day and age as they rose up in the first century to go toe-to-toe with the great injustice and rescue the most helpless and vulnerable among us? Are we up to the task as they were to care? For the least of these in our country, in our day and age. There are some other heroes in Exodus that I want to share with you today. And this is inspired by a prayer that I read on Facebook from a professor at Freed Hardeman. Credit where credit is due. We talked about Shifra and Pua. But there are some other ladies that I want to bring to your attention This morning, in the wake of Pharaoh's decree that all male Hebrew children should be killed, a woman from the house of Levi, her name Jochebed, conceived and bore a son. And she hid him for three months from the Egyptian authorities, and when she could hide him no longer, she placed him in a basket among the reeds of the riverbank to protect him. And we need more mothers like Jochebed, mothers who are willing to protect their children and cherish them, even when doing so threatens their own health or life. The sister of this baby, Miriam, kept watch over her baby brother as he floated along on the riverbank. And we need more people like her, like Miriam, men and women, who are willing to stay close to both mother and child, ready to serve and love and support, because we want what's best for both mother and child. Because as people who are pro-life, we care both about the life of the mother and the child. Eventually, the baby winds up in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't this ironic that the daughter of the one who gave this cruel decree is the one? Well, I'll just tell you what happens. She finds the baby, begins to care for the baby, and enlists the baby's mother to help her in uh, in that project. And we need more people like her, like Pharaoh's daughter. Those who are willing to use their power and their wealth and their privilege to support, to adopt, or to defend those who are among the most vulnerable among us. These ladies, heroes, Shifra and Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't it ironic that Pharaoh was scared of the sons of Israel 
when he should have been afraid of Israel's daughters. It was the daughters of Israel who defied his decree and went out of their way to take care of the most vulnerable. And who was this baby? It was Moses. It was Moses, of course. And what would have happened if Jochebed and Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter had not cared for this vulnerable little one? Think of all the mighty ways that God used Moses. Moses was the means by which God delivered his people out of Egyptian slavery. And in many ways, we have these ladies to thank for that. These ladies who helped and protected Moses when he could do neither for himself. Heroes. Heroes who ought to inspire us today. What can we do? What should we do? We've already said we got to speak up. we got to stand up and say no. we got to pray. But there's other things that we can and that we must do. We can personally care for young mothers who are in trouble, for babies who are in crisis. Come alongside them personally and offer care as best we can. We can support organizations that champion life and that encourage young mothers to choose adoption over abortion. Organizations like Life Choices Pregnancy Support Center of Franklin County, which does great work. Uh, An organization, Lauren and I have donated a lot of our baby stuff to, provided in turn to mothers who are in trouble. They give parenting classes and uh, they provide ultrasound services and many other things as well. If we really want to create a culture that cherishes life, unborn life, We'll support organizations like that. We can also consider foster care. You probably know that foster children in the foster care system in our state is up significantly, up by 10% since 2016. And that's in large part due to the terrible opioid crisis, which shows no signs of letting up. There are more and more babies, more and more children, born into our state, born into our country, who need care like never before. We can become foster parents. Two of Lauren's brothers have been foster parents. Her older brother and uh, his wife took care of a little baby from birth just until he was seven or eight months old just a few weeks ago until an adoptive family could be found. And her younger brother and his wife took a baby home from the hospital from a situation where the mother could not care for this child and that child is now today, legally, our nephew, a part of our family. God has used people in our family to forever alter the future of the lives of children. Maybe, we're op- maybe some of you would be open to that. Is there a better way to practice pure religion as James lays it out for us in chapter 1, verse 27, to visit orphans in their affliction? You know, from the moment that Mary conceived, the child in her womb The unique life within her was the Son of God. Have you ever thought about that? That defies our ability to grasp that the baby within her, from the time he was an embryo, was the Christ. And you know who one of the first people to rejoice at his coming? It was the unborn John the Baptist who leapt within his mother's womb 
when Mary came to visit her. God cherishes all life, every life, your life, and God wants to bless you with eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it would cause all of us to literally leap with joy this morning. If you were to come and say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, I want to repent of my sins. Yes, I want to be buried in water so that those can be forgiven. So that I can be raised up to walk in newness of life. Or if you're struggling with sin in any way, or struggling with anything, discouragement, if you're depressed, if you've got some family issues, you can come at this time too. And we will lift you up. Uh, and you will receive the encouragement and the support that only comes from brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you need to respond to God's invitation today? We extend it to you right now as we stand and sing.